0: Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we continued our look at the in-camera hearing over the admissibility of financial crimes evidence in the case, as we began our review of the testimony of Chris Wilson a fellow lawyer and close friend of Alex Murdoch's. In this installment, we conclude our review of Mr. Wilson's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. It is the late afternoon of February 2nd, 2023, day 7 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. At the end of our last episode, Prosecutor Creighton Waters asked the defendant's friend and fellow attorney, Chris Wilson, whether he perceived a series of transactions requested by Murdoch to be at all suspicious at the time the defendant made them. The witness responded that he had no reason to be suspicious of Alex Murdoch. We begin this episode with Prosecutor Waters asking Mr. Wilson a series of questions regarding how he became aware of evidence that Alex Murdoch had misappropriated the funds from a case that they had worked on together. Waters begins his inquiry by presenting the witness with the checks that provoked
1: those suspicions.
2: All right, I'm going to show you what's been marked 347 and see if you recognize that document.
1: Yes, sir. The first check is a check that was made in May of 2021, May 13th, uh, to Peters, Parker, Murdoch, Ellsroth, and Dietrich for $14,619.13. 600, one, I don't think on the bottom it says anything, but this was a cost reimbursement check on one of those two cases. And then the second check is a uh, check made payable on the same day, May 13th, for the same amount of money plus one cent, so for 14 cents. And uh, it was cost reimbursement in the other case. And that's made payable to the law firm also. Prosecutor Waters
0: next asks Mr. Wilson a series of questions that establish the timeline of the witness's awareness that the defendant's actions were fraudulent.
2: Who was your uh, assistant or paralegal at this
1: point in time? Vicki. I mean, she's one of several, but Vicki is my primary paralegal.
2: At some point in May of 2021, did Vicki advise you of any inquiry coming from PMPD about
1: where these fees were? No, she didn't advise me in May about um, any inquiry about where the fees were. Um, she had received an email in May from LX Paralegal Annette that said, hey, we got the cost check, but we don't have the fees. Where are the fees? And she um, replied to that email to Annette and said, your boss has already been paid the fees, just like mine and the other lawyer. Mm-hmm. Vicki replied to that email. I didn't know about that email until all of this came out in September uh, of what was going on. I didn't know about that reply email to Annette. Vicki did receive an email, another email from Annette, and as I recall, it was a email that Annette had received from Jeannie Seconder that Vicky did forward to me sometime towards the end of May. I think she had gotten it, but she was out on vacation for a couple of days, and when she got back, she forwarded it to me. And it was an email from Jeannie Seconder that said something to the effect of, Alec thought he was owed more cost in the case, had some questions about cost, and they were trying to um, get some information so they could determine if they were owed more cost. She did forward me that email.
2: I'll show you what's been marked, 348, and see if you uh, recognize that. document.
1: Exactly. Yes, sir. Um, this looks like the email string where Jeannie seconder the Chief Financial Officer at PMPED, emailed Annette Griswold, which was Ellick's primary paralegal, basically says that Nicole, I don't even know who that is, brought them the expense check and that didn't match their records. Ellick thinks he has more outstanding cost, but can't say what and they um, want to see if they can get some information concerning expenses and disbursements. Looks like Annette forwarded that to my paralegal, Vicki, on May the 27th. Vicki was out Looks like Annette asked her again on June the second if she could get her some information and Vicky replied to Annette that she didn't deal with um, some of the documentation they were requesting and so she would forward it to me.
2: And what that's June the second, when?
1: Uh, two two thousand twenty one, June second.
2: June second, twenty twenty one. Yes, sir. At this point in time, are Alex fees still in your trust account?
1: No, sir. They were dispersed the checks March. I don't know the exact date, but they were dispersed in three separate checks in March.
2: At some point in time, around this June 2nd, thereabouts, did you receive any uh, call from Lee Cope?
0: As we mentioned in the last episode, Lee Cope is an attorney who is investigating irregularities in the defendant's financial dealings on behalf of Alex Murdoch's former law firm. Peters,
1: Murdoch, Parker, Eltroth, and Dietrich, also referred to as PMPED. I believe I had a conversation with Lee Cope. I was trying a case in Hampton the week before that. Um, and I was in and out of their office. And um, I believe I had a conversation with Lee. That would have been like the week of May the 24th or some of those days in there. And I believe I had a conversation with Lee. He asked me if all the money had been dispersed in the Ferris case. And I told him that it had not been, that we had some liens outstanding, medical bills and liens outstanding, and we were holding money for some additional costs in case things came in. He didn't ask me any further questions. He did not mention that there were any issues or concerns about fees.
2: Uh, well, what did you tell Nico? Was I told him I'd have to check that? into it. Uh, after that, did you uh, reach out to the defendant? I did. And what was your conversation with him?
1: I reached out to Ellick and I said, Ellick, um, you know, hey, um, I mean, I don't know what all we talked about in that call, but at some point in time we talked about it, I said, hey, I've got this email that's been forwarded to me by Vicki um, where your firm is saying that you believe you're owed more cost um i put the cost down on the cost on the disbursement sheet that you had given me but if you've got more cost just figure out what it is and get it to me we're holding some money to deal with some medical bills and liens and with the client's consent we were holding some money in case additional costs come in sometimes costs are slow coming in and that's normal and um and if there's an issue just let me know um he said you know i'll check on it or there's not an issue or i'll check on and i said hey this is the case that i disperse the fees to you you know per your request um, is everything all right? And he said, yeah, I just got to make sure they know it's on the books the right way and that this is the case that, that we've already worked out, um, the, the, put it on the books. Did
2: he tell you he had structured those fees and annuities, as he had told you before? Yeah,
1: that he had put them in the annuities.
2: Put them in the annuities, firm's going to make sure they're on the books.
1: As far as I knew, the firm was aware that the monies had been paid to him, that he was putting them into annuities that they would um, credit him as already having been paid and they would account for that whenever or however they split up money.
2: clear those funds were not in your trust account. They were gone at that
1: point. Yes, sir. They've been gone since March and whenever those checks were cashed after I wrote them in March.
2: $792,000.
1: Yes, sir.
0: Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Creighton Waters next raises Mr. Wilson's correspondence with the defendant on the night of the murders. The witness wipes away tears as he responds.
2: For purposes of this hearing, I'm not going to go into the the night when Maggie and Paul were killed, but just very quickly, you did have some texts and, and calls with Alec that night, is that correct? Yes, sir. And you were at the residence and responding as friends and family did in the aftermath of that event, is that correct? Yes, sir. A few weeks after the murders, did you uh, have another conversation with Alec, asking him if like, everything had been handled with the firm and those fees?
1: Yes, sir. I don't remember if it was two weeks or three weeks or what it was. I mean, everybody was destroyed. I don't think anybody was focusing on that. I know I wasn't, but at some point in time after that, I just said, hey, is everything all right with the you know, contact and I got in with those fees? And he said it was. Waters
0: moves on to ask Mr. Wilson about conversations that he had with Alex Murdoch regarding the fees that the witness had previously dispersed to the defendant.
2: At some point in mid-July 2021, or a month after the murders, did Alec call you up and ask you anything about these fees? He did. Tell me what the conversation with Alec was about these fees.
1: He contacted me and said that he was not able to structure the fees the way that he thought he was going to be able to do, that he had messed that up, and that the fees needed to be paid to the firm, and they needed to go back through my trust account. And what did you say at that point? I I, I didn't see anything that caused me any red flags or anything, and felt like if that's what had to be done, that the fees had to be paid to his firm and needed to go back through my trust account, he could send me the money, and I could run it back through my trust account and then pay it to his firm.
2: So he's promising. He's saying I will send you the money back. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Did you ultimately receive any funds?
1: Six hundred thousand of the seven hundred ninety-two. You only received six hundred thousand. Yes, sir. And how did you receive that? Do you recall? I think it came in two different wires. Uh, wires, excuse me. That either came on the same day or on back-to-back days.
2: Did one of those wires come from Palmetto State Bank for three hundred fifty thousand dollars.
1: I-, I believe so. Yes, sir.
2: And that was on on or about July fifteenth.
1: That sounds right, yes, sir.
2: And the other was about $250,000 on July 16, 2021? belief
1: believe from Bank of America, yes, sir.
2: That was only $600,000? Yes, sir. So you're short from what you'd already given to Alec, correct? Yes, sir. How much are you short?
1: $192,000.
2: $192, $192,000? Yes, sir. Did you have a conversation with Alec about being short? I did. And what was your conversation with Alec?
1: He told me that he wasn't able to access the $192,000 immediately that he had already put it into the annuity, um, but he couldn't do it the way he wanted to, but he couldn't access it because it would be penalized if it was withdrawn and that um, that he would get me the money. So what
2: did you do in response to what your friend told you
1: to do or told you about the reason why he was short $192,000? I mean, at that point, um, I had an indication that I was supposed to have $792,000 in my trust account that was supposed to have been paid to his firm I'm responsible for that trust account. I put $192,000 of my own money in that trust account to cover the shortfall.
2: Based on his representation that he'd get you back?
1: Yes, sir.
0: Waters shows the witness another document.
2: I'm going to show you what's the part this Exhibit uh, 349, States 349, with this uh, in-camera hearing, and do you recognize that?
1: This is an email that I sent. To Ellick at his request, he said he needed to be able to provide it to his firm so they'd know the money was being held. And it was dated July 19th of 2021. It says Ellick has discussed, I'm confirming that I'm holding in trust $600,000 in the gentleman's case and $192,000 in the lady's case, which represent attorney's fees. I'll continue to hold these monies in trust until I am instructed by you, excuse me, by you or your firm regarding payment. You
2: sent that email at that point in time. Did you receive any further inquiry, at that point in time at least, from the law firm saying, all right, go ahead and send us the 792?
1: Mr. Waters, I didn't hear anything else from um, the law firm at all until September the 3rd, 2021, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Mr. Lee Cope called me. The first question he asked me was, was I still holding $792,000 in my firm? That seemed to be his first concern, and I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, we need to get that money paid to us. And then he told me that um, they had done, they had discovered a check that uh, I think I remember him telling me um, that was from me to Alec in the firm, and that they had discovered that Alec was stealing money from the firm and from clients, and um, that he could not talk very long and asked me not to say anything to anybody until the following Tuesday when they could issue a press release.
0: Waters backs up and brings up further correspondence between Wilson and Murdoch before Alex's
2: financial crimes were exposed. All right. Let me slow you down just real quick before we get there. At some point in time in August, did you uh, attend any event or any conference where you saw Alec?
1: I did. And what was that? Um, it's called South Carolina Association of Justice now, I still call it the Trial Lawyers Association. We have an annual convention in Hilton Head every August the first weekend. and. I usually attend, and and was there, and Alex was there. there. I did,
2: and did you have any conversation with him at that conference about the one hundred ninety-two thousand dollars that you covered for him when he was going to pay that back?
1: I believe I asked him about it, and he indicated he was working on it. You know, something, some discussion about his father's estate. You know, his father had just passed, and there would be money coming from the estate, and then with um, with Maggie's estate being tied up also. Did he say he might sell some property or something like that? I think he did mention that he was working towards selling some property.
2: At this point in time, still within a couple of months after the tragic murders of Maggie and Paul, were you still very sensitive to your friend's emotional health and well-being?
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, we, I didn't push him.
2: You didn't push him? No, sir. At some point after that conference where you asked him about it didn't want to push him, did you have another conversation with him about when that money might be paid? Uh, I believe I did, yes, sir.
0: Creighton Waters next shows Mr. Wilson a crudely handwritten document.
2: All right, I'm going to show you what's been marked as States 350 for this hearing. See if you recognize that. I do. And tell me what that is. It is
1: a very rudimentary, handwritten, scratched-out promissory note that I asked Ellick to sign for me, which he did August 17th of 2021, um, acknowledging that uh, I had loaned him $192,000 that he would repay within 60 days, I think is what it says.
2: And tell me how the circumstances of how you came to get this essentially on a piece of paper. This is a costume. Yes, it is. Yes, sir. All right. Tell me about it, please. That was more
1: about, um, I mean, I wanted to get repaid my money as quickly as possible, but that was more about I was concerned, just like everybody else, everybody in his firm and everybody in his family, that he was going to do something to himself, you know, that he was going to kill himself. And, um, I mean, I knew enough to know to know that if he that I couldn't make a claim against his estate if there wasn't something in writing. And so that was more, I went to him and said, Alec, look, I hate to even ask this, but I need to ask you to do this in case something happens to you. And I phrased it like if you get hit by a car or something, but it it was more about worried about what he might do. And I need to ask you to do this so that if there's a problem, I can deal with it. And he did. He didn't have a problem with it. Prosecutor
0: Waters then returns to the moment Mr. Wilson discovered the extent of Alex Murdoch's financial malfeasance.
2: You already said this part, but at some point a few weeks later you get a call from Lee Cope asking about those fees and saying that Alec have been stealing money, right? Yes, sir. that hit you like a thunderbolt?
1: It knocked me down. I mean, I I was with a group of guys. I could not talk. Lee told me he could not talk very long. I, I mean, I, I didn't know how to react. Did
2: you try to get in touch with Alec?
1: I did. I mean, I, I couldn't do it immediately. I think I spoke to Lee for just a minute. He told me I needed to call him right back. I called him back. We talked for just a minute. He couldn't talk long. He said he had other things to take care of to deal with all of what was going on. Do
2: you remember what day this is?
1: September 3rd, Friday, 3 o'clock in the afternoon.
2: 2021?
1: 2021. Yes, sir.
2: Do you remember it like it was yesterday? I'll tell you exactly you where I was and who I was with. Tell me more about what happened.
1: I uh, finished up what I was doing with that group. I think I tried to call Alec, or I know I texted him. And I believe I tried to call also, and I couldn't get him. Did you continue to try to contact him? I did. I think he did respond maybe that afternoon later, and said, "I'm in a, I forget what it was. It was in a meeting or something. I can't. I'll call you back as soon as I can." But at some point in time, I kept trying to get him, and we did talk later.
2: Uh, what did you talk about? What day was that when you finally were able to talk to him?
1: I think I spoke. I did speak to him that evening, this Friday, September the third, by phone. I don't remember the exact of the conversation, but I said, look, Lee's called me and told me what's going on. What is going on? He said, I really can't talk about it much right now. I said, I need to talk to you, and I want it to be in person. I need to know what's going on. And, um, well, he he said he would try to meet with me the next morning and um, um, that he was sorry. I don't remember all the gist of that conversation, but the next morning I tried to call him. I woke up, and I started driving towards Buford, Because I thought he was staying at John Marvin's house down that way. And I started calling him and driving his direction. And eventually he called me back and said he would meet me in Alameda at his mom and daddy's house. Did you meet him there? I did. Was that in the morning of September 4th? Probably a little bit before lunchtime, kind of late morning, yes, sir. Did
2: y'all have a conversation? We did. Where was the conversation?
1: I got there before he did. I don't think I pulled in the driveway. I kind of waited out on the road. Pulled in the driveway. We went in the side door. The um, caregiver was there. She, we went out onto the front porch, and we talked on the front porch. And what did he say to you? I mean, the first thing I asked him is, you know, Alec, what the, what the F or what the H is going on here? You know, what is going on, and have you done something else to me or that involves me that I don't know about? Because I know about this, and I've got to deal with this, but is there something else you've done that I don't know about that I need to, that I need to be concerned with?
2: And what did he say?
1: He broke down crying. Said I can't. Said I can't write this second. He went inside, came back out with some paper towels, and told me that he had had a drug problem, that he was addicted to opioids, and that he had been addicted for I don't remember if he said 20 or 20 plus years, but it, I mean, it, you know, for 20 years or so. Did he say anything about the money? He told me that he had that he had been stealing money. Did he have a particular phrase about what he had done to you? Shit me up. Said he shit you up shit me up or shit me up or shit me off or something like that, but I think it was he'd shit me up.
2: He said that he, he admitted to you he had been stealing client money? Yes, sir. So he confessed that to you as that correct? He said
0: he had shit a lot of people up. Prosecutor Waters presents another document to Mr. Wilson.
2: I'm going to show you what's been marked as states 313 in this in-camera hearing. Do you
1: recognize that? Uh, yes, sir. What is that? I think this is the original of that $225,000 fee check written in the gentleman's case directly to richard alexander murdoch esquire
2: is that your signature on it it is how did that conversation end
1: i don't remember exactly how it ended mr works i was so mad i'd mean, I loved the guy for so long and i probably still loved him a little bit but i was so mad i don't remember how it ended i left i mean i asked him how you know how, how did i not know these things or see these things you know and we talked i don't i mean i he was concerned about me getting my hundred ninety-two thousand dollars back. Seemed concerned. Told so him I wasn't worried about that. At that point, I wanted to make sure there wasn't something else.
2: This was a little bit before lunch on September fourth.
1: Yes, sir. Well, we didn't leave. I'm sure we. I'm sure I yelled at the beginning, or at least raised my voice. But I didn't leave yelling and screaming and hollering. We didn't fight. But I left. I wasn't happy.
2: Where'd you go after you
1: left? Remember? Mm-hmm. I rode through Hampton. Actually, we threw Hardee's and grabbed something for a bite of lunch on the road and headed back to Columbia, where I live.
0: Prosecutor Waters next turns to ask Mr. Wilson a series of questions about another shocking event in the Alex Murdoch saga that occurred in the immediate aftermath of the witnesses' September 4th meeting with the defendant.
2: That day, did you hear anything else about Alec?
1: I did. About how long after you left Alec did you hear something? I had stopped in my office in Bamberg or at the post office to pick something up, and, um... I was somewhere between Bamberg and Columbia when I got a call. It was either from Randy or Lee Cope, but I believe it was Lee Cope.
2: What were you informed?
1: That Ellick had been shot in the head and that he was on a helicopter going to the hospital in Savannah. And I think it was Savannah Hospital, but they said the hospital, but I believe they said Savannah Hospital.
2: What did you do in response to that information?
1: What the devil's going on? I thought he'd to kill himself. I didn't think he was suicidal when I left, but when I heard that, I thought he'd try to kill himself.
2: Did you uh, go to the scene or did you return back home? I went back home you try to reach out to
1: Alec after that? I did not. Um, I talked to his brother Randy, I think some that same day and some on the next day. But by that time, frankly, all this had, for lack of a better term, blown up to where I didn't think I'd be able to talk to Alec. And I don't know that I wanted to.
2: Have you had a conversation with him since?
1: I have not spoken to him since that morning at Almeida. Have you had any other communication with him? Um, he's texted me once or twice to which I've responded um, something very generic like I'm thinking about your family and I think he may have written a letter some short letter that um, frankly i turned over to my lawyers.
0: Prosecutor Waters presents the witness with another document.
2: going to show you what's been marked as
1: states 351 see if you recognize that. I do. And what is that? This is one of the texts that I received from Alex and my response. Is that a number you previously had recognized being Alex? I don't know if I'd ever seen that number before, but it's not the normal cell phone number that I would have used to contact him or he to contact me. I mean, there was, sometimes he'd tell me he was calling me from the phone in his car. Sometimes it would be a number I didn't recognize. Is
2: that text on screen
1: there? Yes, sir.
2: And say, so sorry for all the havoc I created for you. I'd do anything to make it right. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Wilson. That's all the questions for this on camera hearing, Your Honor.
1: By the right, defense.
2: We have no questions, John.
0: All right, Mr. Wilson. With Chris Wilson's dismissal as a witness in the in-camera hearing, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we review final arguments between the prosecution and defense over the admissibility of financial crimes evidence in the trial. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.